0: Bismillah Rahman Rahim Alhamdulillah Alameen, Osala to Al Salamu Allah Ashrafil Ambiya, Iwal mursaleen, Salim, Muhammad Wa Allah Alihi, Wa Ashabi, Ajmain, Am Mabad, Asalaamu Alaikum Ma Rahmetullahhi or Barakatuhu. Allahuman Fa'nabi Ma Alam Tana wa Allimna Mayan Fauna or Zukuna Ilman Ten Faunabi amina rabbil Bal Alameen Alhamdulillah to Malhamdulilah. We've reached our next lesson in the tafsir of the Short Surah of the Quran course. And today, bi ta'ala, we will be discussing Suratul Masad. Suratul Masad, which translates to the palm fiber. First and foremost, before we go into the the tafsir and the discussion on uh, the surah itself, there is actually a reason for the revelation of the surah, as we have with many other surahs of the Qur'an. Um, So we find in a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, which is narrated from Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhumah, that the Prophet Sallallahu he went out to the ba- the valley of al batha and he ascended the mountain over there. And this is also, in other ahadith it mentions the Mount Safa, right? The famous Mount Safa. Um, and he cried out to the people, Ya Sabaha. So he went out and he ascended the mountain and he called out to the people. He called out to the Quraysh. And he said to them, Ya Sabaha, which basically means, Oh people, come, come and listen, come out. As so the Quraysh they gathered around him they came out to listen to what he had to say right and we have to understand and remember that the status that Rasulullah sallallahu had in his community among his people was of a very high status he was born from the best of the Quraysh his grandfather was a very well and popular man Abdul Muttalib and his uncle Abu Talib was the men of status his uncles you know so and and not just that his character itself he was known as al Amin, the trustworthy one and he was known as the best of the of the best and this uh, is well known alhamdulillah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such that he had this the special place in the hearts of the people due to his personality and not just his status as in his lineage and so forth so he called him and this is, of course, after prophethood, after many of them had now rejected him and turned away from him and, and started to scorn against him and so forth. And so he said to them, if I said to your people that the enemy was about to attack you or that they are planning to attack you from behind this mountain in the morning or in the evening, would you believe me that I'm standing on above this mountain and behind me there's an enemy that's about to attack you in the morning or in the evening? Would you believe me? And the people, what did they say? They said, yes, we believe you. Because of his status and, and his, his personality and his character. And this is how it was, that the Quraysh, they, they had no reason not to trust him. So they said, yes, we, we believe you. Because we know that you, do not, you are not a person who lies. You are not a person who would make stories, make up stories and so forth. And so Rasulullah he said, Fa inni lakum Indeed, I am a warner that has been sent to you before the coming of a severe torment, subhanallah, so meaning the message I am bringing you as a warner from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who sent me is much more severe, is much more serious, is much more important than me informing you of an enemy that's about to attack you. This torment that's going to reach you, that, and if you don't accept this message of mine, the torment that's going to reach you will be much more severe than that of an enemy attacking you, even if it's a surprise attack. And that torment, of course, especially would apply to in the Akhirah, Allah Musta'an. But still they refused, to, they refused to accept. They never understood what he's saying. Or perhaps they did understand. But there were many reasons why they never accepted. So Abu Lahab then stood up. And Abu Lahab, we know, was his uncle. Abu Lahab then said, Is this what you gathered us for? Is this why you gathered us here? Is this why you called us? May you perish, he said to him. Tabban lak." may you perish, he said to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa sallama. And on that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sent down the surah, Tabbat yada wa watab. Tabbat yada wa watab. May the hands of Abu Lahab perish, and he himself perish. So what we find is, he comes and he insults Rasulullah sallallahu and he belittles Rasulullah sallallahu and he belittles his message his message and he abuses him and curses him in fact and he says may you perish and Allah then defends his messenger Allah then revealed the surah and this these ayat in defense of his messenger responding to Abu Lahab so before the prophet could even respond before any other companion could maybe respond before anybody else, maybe a family member, like Abu Talib, for example, who defended Rasulullah, SAW, before anybody else could respond in defence of Muhammad, SAW, Allah Azza wa Jalla reveals ayat to defend his messenger. And to insult the one who insulted him, and to curse the one who cursed him. And he said, Yada batab. May the hands of Abu Lahab perish and may he himself perish. And so subhanallah, this surah, this was why the surah was revealed, number one. Number two, this surah is also one of the many surahs and ayat of the Quran by which we see the clear evidence that Rasulullah sallallahu was truly the messenger of Allah. Because in this surah, there is also a direct challenge to Abu Lahab and his wife because Allah speaks about them. And Allah mentions things about them, that they may may be perished. And we'll see the ayat that speaks about his wife and so forth, and how they will be thrown into Jahannam. The point is, these ayat were revealed towards the early parts of Prophethood. Meaning Abu Lahab lived on after these ayat were sent. If Abu Lahab wanted to spite Allah and his Qur'an, and Rasulullah he could have said, I accept Islam. Or his wife. So how can you say I'm going to be thrown into the fire? But yet, Allah of course knew through his divine wisdom and knowledge that this man is never going to accept Islam. And so Allah s- sent these ayat. And this was an evidence to show the people that he's not going to accept Islam and he's going to enter the fire. So subhanAllah, these ayat was also like a prophecy that's going to come through. Or words and, and and information from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this is going to happen, and there's nobody that can change this. Not even Abu Lahab himself. So these are also ayat that proves that what was sent to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was truly divine. It was wahi and that he was the true messenger of Allah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In another narration, it states that Abu Lahab stood up, dusting off his hands, and he said, May you perish for the rest of this day. He said to Rasulullah sallallahu Is this what you gathered us for? May you perish for the, the rest of this day. And he dusted off his hands. And this is why Allah then said, Tabbat yada watab. May those hands, May the hands of Abu Lahab be perished and may he perish himself. So Allah started mentioning by the hands that he, he was dusting. Allah said, May those hands perish and may Abu Lahab himself be perished. Subhanallah. So who was Abu Lahab? It's important for us to understand to understand the, the power of the surah and the context of the surah. It's, we have to know a little bit about Abu Lahab. Right, Abu Lahab was one of the uncles of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. His name was actually Abdul Uzza. Abdul Uzza bin Abdul Muttalib. So he was the son of Abdul Muttalib. Right, which means he is the paternal uncle of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Rasulullah's father was of course Abdullah, the son of Abdul Muttalib. This is his brother Abu Lahab, or also known as, or actually his name is actually Abdul Uzzah. His actual name was Abdul Uzzah, right, the son of Abdul Muttalib. Al-Uzzah was of course an idol that they used to worship back then, a false god. Um, so he's the slave of that false god. Remember, they were, these people were not upon Tawheed, right, uh, before the coming of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this is why they had these type of names. Right? His surname was Abu Utaiba, or one of his other, his Kunya rather, not his surname. His Kunya was Abu Utayba, as his son was Utayba. And he was only called Abu Lahab because of the brightness of his face. So the word Lahab means uh, something that's flaming or shining or, or blazing and so forth. So this is why he was called Abu Lahab, because of his face, because of the way he looked. And... So because of his, his shining face, you can say, or his bright face, right, or his blazing face. Perhaps we shouldn't say uh, bright, his blazing or his, his, his reddish face. You understand? Like, like that of a fire which becomes reddish, right? His cheeks also would become red at times when he became angry or he became a little bit worked up and so forth. So this is why he was called Abu Lahab, because Lahab means something that's blazing. So his cheeks would become red as if he was blazing, Right? And this is one of the reasons he is called Abu Lahab. This was his nickname in the dunya because of the way he looked. He had a face that was uh, bright and shining, and also uh, uh, blazing, like, like like becoming red and so forth. And it's known that he used to harm the, the, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is of course well known. He hated and scorned him and his religion. He hated him, and he scorned him and his religion. So, in reality, there was no personal hatred to the Messenger of Allah. Meaning, before prophethood, he had no problem with the Prophet. So, what did he actually hate? He actually hated his deen. He hated what he came with of tawheed, of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and abolishing shirk and idol worship and the worship of all the idols that they had in Mecca at the time and all of the false gods that they had in Mecca at the time. And this is what they actually hated. And this is what they refused to accept, even though it made sense to them, even though they knew he's a truthful person and so forth. But it's the truth that he came with that upset them. And many of them were, were people who were, uh, were muta'asib, or meaning they had tribalism firstly, and also they were fanatical towards their people and the religions of their forefathers. And this is what they refused to give up. So they refused to change their belief. Right. Even though the haqq had been presented to them, even though there were so many evidences to them that this was the truth. But because of their arrogance, because of their egos, because of their fanaticism towards their tribes or their forefathers and so forth, this is why they refused to give up. This is why they refused to accept the truth. And this is evident with many of them, with many of the Quraysh, and that, that this was the main reason what prevented them from accepting Islam. And this is what Abu Lahab Hated about Rasulullah, and in many cases he would tell him, You've sworn our forefathers, you've belittled our our, our intelligent ones, our religion, and so forth. This is what he constantly complained about to Abu Talib, who kept defending his his nephew, and he complained about to the Prophet and he threatened him with and so forth. In a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad, Rahimahullah, in his Musnad. That a man called Rabi'a ibn Abbad from the tribe of Bani Adil was a man of pre-Islamic ignorance. This man accepted Islam. Right? He said to him that I saw the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So this is narrated from Abu Az Zinad that this man accepted Islam and he said to him, "I saw the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam during the days of Jahiliyyah before." Um, Meaning in his days of jahiliya, right? So the Prophet, prophet who did now come, the Prophet was going out and giving da'wah. So this man was still in his time of jahiliya, and he saw something. And he saw in the market of Dhul-Majaz that the Messenger was saying, Ya ayyuhal nas, qulu la ilaha illallah tuflihu." O people, Say, La ilaha illallah, and you will be successful. O oh people, say, La ilaha illallah, there is none worthy of worship except Allah, and you will be successful. So the Prophet wasallam is out in this marketplace giving da'wah, inviting people, and people would come and listen to him. And, 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 you know, hear him out, and this is what he was basically saying to them. Giving them the da'wah to La ilaha illallah, so that they will accept Islam, and become muahideen and that this will be their success so the people gathered around him and behind him there was a man with a bright face right this man with a bright face he was cross eyed or squint and two braids in his hair he had two braids in his hair and this man was saying Innahu sabi kathib. Innahu sabi'un Innahu sabi'un he is an apostate and he's a liar a sabi is what they used to call the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam a sabi means someone who left our religion Someone who left our deen, they used to call him a sabi. So they said he's a sabi, he's left our deen. And he's a kathib, he's a liar. He was now, as the Prophet is giving da'wah, he is walking behind the Prophet wasallam, and he is countering his da'wah by saying the man's a liar and he's an apostate from our religion. And this man followed him wherever he went. So I asked who was he and the people they then said to me, this is his uncle Abu Lahab. This is his uncle Abu Lahab. Another narration in the Sahih ibn Hibban, adds that he where he said that there was a man following him around, throwing him with stones, pelting him. Hijara, throwing him with stones until his hamstrings and his ankles were bleeding. So throwing him with stones, and you could see the blood flowing down, you know, at the at the areas of his ankles and his and his hamstrings his Achilles tendons in those, area, those areas over there, you could see blood flowing from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa mubarak legs. And this was of course from who, From Abu Lahab who was throwing him with stones as he was doing da'wah wa So this is just one example of the, the enmity that he showed and the, <coughs> the abuse that he showed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Sheikh Ibn rahimahullah he mentions that when it comes to the uncle's, of Rasulullah sallallahu and their relationship with him and Allah. Their relationship with him and his deen and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they are of three types. The first type the Shaykh mentions is there are those who accepted the deen. They accepted Islam and they became worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they strove hard with Rasulullah sallallahu in establishing this deen. That's the first category of uncles that he had. Another category of uncles that he had was those who supported him. They defended him. They assisted him. However, they remained kuffar. Yani they did not accept Islam. And the third category of uncles that he had was a category of those who abused him. Those who were stubborn. Those who completely opposed him. Right? And of course there were also disbelievers. So of the first category, those who believed in him, we have of course Al-Abbas. Al-Abbas Ibn Abdul Muttalib, the son of Abdul Muttalib, and also Hamza Ibn Abdul Muttalib, for example. These two uncles became great companions of Rasulullah. They were his uncles, but we also say, Radullah Anhum. May Allah be pleased, because they were great Sahaba. Allah be pleased with him. Especially Hamza. Al-Abbas had great virtue as well. And it was of course Hamza. Hamza, for example, was martyred in the Battle of Uhud and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa cried and wept for Hamza, who was also, by the way, his nursing brother, his milk brother. Right? They were nursed together, they were a similar age. And he said, This is Asadullah wa Asadul Rasul. Upon his death, he said, This is the lion of Allah and the lion of the Messenger. The second category, we of course have Abu Talib. Abu Talib, who became his guardian at the death of Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather. Abu Talib then looked after him and was his guardian. And he loved him extremely. And he was extremely fond of him. So he supported him. He believed in him. Yani that this, this nephew of mine is truthful. And he also defended him against the Quraysh. And there's great narrations about this. Subhanallah of how he, the extent that he went to In defending him such that he would threaten those who threatened the Prophet that that he actually was willing to take revenge against them that if they harmed him he would come and take revenge against them and kill them this was mentioned in certain narrations of of how much Abu Talib loved him and was willing to defend him Um, but still unfortunately Abu Talib did not die as a Muslim and on his deathbed Rasulullah is there saying to him, Oh my uncle, say la ilaha illallah, say la ilaha illallah, say la ilaha illallah. Encouraging him on his deathbed to say la ilaha illallah. And he said to him, This is a word that I will stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for you with. I will intercede on behalf of you. And with this word, if you say it, the statement. But on the other side of the bed was the likes of Abu Lahab, saying to him, Are you going to give up the religion of your father? Are you going to deny the religion of your father? And this is, as we said earlier, one of the main reasons why they refused to accept Islam was because of their loyalty to their families, or their their, their, their forefathers and so forth. And this is all Abu Lahab said to him. Are you going to give up the religion of Abdul Muttalib, your father? And he then did not say, La ilaha illallah, and he did not accept Islam, and he died upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib, which was not upon the religion of Tawheed, um, unfortunately. And... Upon this, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala revealed ayat to Rasulullah sallallahu wa saying, la tahdi man ahbabd, Allah yahdi man yasha that verily you, O oh Muhammad, indeed, you cannot guide those whom you love. Rather, it is Allah who guides whomsoever He wants. Meaning, guidance is not in your hands, O oh Rasulullah. You may be the Messenger of Allah, but you do not have the ability to guide whomsoever you want, whomsoever you are pleased with, whomsoever you love. It doesn't work that way. Rather, Allah yahdi man yasha. Subhanallah. So the second category would be Abu Talib The third category of course would be the likes of Abu Lahab right? So no doubt Abu Lahab is of the third category And Shaykh ibn Taymin then said Allah then even revealed a surah about him Speaking about him, not in a good way of course Insulting him, cursing him So Allah reveals a surah cursing him and his wife And condemning them to the fire of Jahannam which is of course an insult to him, a major insult to him, and also a challenge that he refused to, or that he was unable to respond to. But yet, for us to recite the surah, the Sheikh says this is a surah recited daily in the salawat. It's a short surah, so people recite it often. In the fard salah, in the sunnah salah, out loud, uh, silently, people are always reciting the surah. And the Sheikh says for reciting the surah, we will get reward. And for every letter, we get ten hasanat. Ten good deeds. Walhamdulillah. Yet the surah is, of course, a, a response to Abu Lahab. And a condemnation of Abu Lahab. Walhamdulillah, As he was the enemy of Rasulullah So Allah جل, he says, Tabbat yada abi Tabbat yada abi May the hands of Abu Lahab perish. And Abu, may he himself perish. Um... And on this point, before we move on, Abu Lahab, we say it was definitely a nickname that was befitting for him. Because we explained earlier what Lahab means. means something that's, you know, blazing or, or reddish or flaming or, 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 or bright. As we said, his, his face is to become like this. And that's why they called him that name in the dunya. But the nickname is also appropriate for him for the, for the akhirah, Because he is now the father of that blaze. The father of that blazing flame. And that is where he is. That, we, that is where his abode. In the Akhirah, that's his abode. His abode is nothing but the blazing fire. Wallahu Musta'an. So definitely Abu Lahab, the father of Lahab, the father of that blaze, is not just appropriate for him in the dunya, where he had a blazing face, but also in the Akhirah, where he will be in the blazing flames uh, of the fire of Jahannam. Wallahun Musta'an. In the next ayah, Allah subhanahu Ta'ala says, مَا أَغْنَى عَنْهُ وَمَا كسب. Neither his wealth, no worldly gains will benefit him. Right? Firstly, we look at this ma' in the beginning of the, of the surah. Right? Now, we know in Arabic, there are different types of ma'. Right? You have, you have different types of the, of the word or the letter or this harf ma'. Right? It has different functions and different types. Of them is the ma ul istifham, the ma' of questioning. Right? Where you use ma' in front of a sentence to... To, to, to use it as a question, for example, um, for example, uh, in in one of the questions of the grave is going to be wa dinuk, wa dinuk, and what is your religion? So ma here in this context is a question. Wa dinuk, what is your religion? What was your religion? Right? Ma is used as a question. Another type of ma is ma is the ma of negation, the ma of Negation to negate whatever is is uh, comes in the sentence. So in this ayah over here, Sheikh Ibn Taymiyyah, for example, says that this ma could either be ma of istifham, a ma of question, or it can be ma of nafiyah, the ma of negation. Right. So for example, if we said this the ma of istifham, the ma of questioning, then the translation would be something like, "Would his or can will his wealth or worldly gains?" be of benefit to him? It will be a question. And the answer, of course, would be no. Right? And all of, there are many ayat like this where Allah ta'ala he, he gives us a question. Uh, when the, whereas the answer is well known. It's a rhetorical question. Right? So it could be a question. As a question, would his wealth, or will his wealth and, and wealth against be of benefit to him? And the answer is well known that it's no. Or it can be nafia, which is how most would interpret it. Saying, neither his wealth nor worldly gains will benefit him. Negating any type of benefit. Negating. This is an amount of negation. His wealth nor his worldly gains will be of benefit. Right? So both of them are applicable according to the Sheikh. Uh, and as we can see in terms of the, the way we explain it. Well, Alhamdulillah. Um, then the Sheikh, he also says that a person's wealth in general is always of benefit to him. Right? Our wealth should be of benefit to us in this dunya. For example... Um, When you get hungry, you can buy something to eat. You need a place to stay, to sleep over. You can use your wealth to rent, and so forth. Your money, your wealth, and so forth is obviously of benefit to you in various ways, right? But Allah says here that his mal, maluhu his wealth, his money, his wealth, will not be of benefit to him. And what's meant here is, in front of Allah, it will not be of benefit. Perhaps in this dunya, he'll get... Benefits out of it here yeah, and there, just like eating and buying food and buying some shelter and and so forth, right? Some dunya benefits here and there, perhaps, no problem. But will this wealth be of any benefit to him in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And this is what Allah is negating completely. And this is why Ibn Taymin says the benefit that does not, any benefit, that does not save a person from the hellfire is in reality of no benefit. Any benefit, any favor that we have in this Dunya. right And this week this, this statement of the sheikh can really be applied to anything, not just mind, not just wealth. Take your health for example. Take your body for example, take anything. It's a benefit. There's lots of benefits in it. There's lots of things we can do with our body, with our health, with our physicality, with different things, with our mind, with our tongue, so many benefits. But if these benefits does not save the person from the fire of the hell fire, from the fire of hell, or from the hellfire, then in reality it is of no benefit. Because in front of Allah, when we meet Allah, these things are not going to be of benefit to us. In fact, it will be a, a, a proof against us, Allah al-Musta'an. So that statement can really be interpreted according to any, any benefit that we experience. And in this context, of course, it's wealth. So our wealth may benefit us in this dunya, but if it's not going to save us from the fire of Jahannam, then that in reality there is no benefit in that wealth. In reality there is no benefit in that, in that wealth of Allah Musta'an. So the Muslim of course, he should be intelligent. And he should make, make his life such in that, in, that, that, that he earns halal income number one. That he spends his money wisely without wasting, without investing in haram, without investing in riba without um hoarding without being greedy but he has to be balanced he has to be balanced and he gives in sadaqah and he pays his zakah and so forth so that at least his wealth is alhamdulillah of a be- as, is that of a benefit to him and he will, it will perhaps save him come the akhirah, that's why the one hadith says you should give charity right or save yourself from the fire Save yourself from the fire, even if it means by giving one date in charity. Subhanallah. So, in that way, our wealth will be of benefit to us. For example, when we give charity, we spend on our families. We pay our zakah. We invest only in halal. We avoid haram in, uh, transactions and so forth. In this way, we are fearing Allah. And through that, Allah will bless us and Allah will guide us and Allah will forgive us. And it will save us on the day of Qiyamah ta'ala. Regarding his earnings, the word kasab usually refers to earnings in Arabic. But here yeah, many of the scholars like Ibn Abbas and others said that kasab means children. So the ayah mentioned his wealth. It will be of benefit to him. And kasab. The ayah ended off kasab. anhu maluhu wa ma kasab. No, he is kasab. So some of the scholars like Ibn Abbas and many others, they said that kasab actually refers to his children. That they also will be of no benefit to him and to, to strengthen this view there's a hadith where rasulullah said inna akaltum min kasbikum wa inna awladakum min kasbikum indeed the most wholesome of what you consume is from your earnings the, most, the best of what you can consume and eat for example is from what you have earned from your own hands this is what that basically means wa inna min and indeed your children are from your earnings they are from your Kasb. They are from your Kasb. So this strengthens the view that says that the word Kasab here means your children. It means his children. That they also will be of no benefit. That is one of the views of the Ulama. Right? Um, also, it has been mentioned from Ibn Mas'ud that when the Rasulullah, when the, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam called his people to Iman, Abu Lahab said, even if what my nephew says is true, and yeah, look at the arrogance. Even if what my nephew says is true, I will ransom myself from the painful torment on the Day of Judgment with my wealth and my children. My Kasb. And therefore Allah Azza wa Jal revealed So he, out of his arrogance, he said even if what he's calling to is the truth, I'm not going to submit. I refuse to accept. This was his kibr This was his arrogance. And what will I do? If it's the truth, then I will ransom myself. I'll save myself from the fire, or from the punishment in the Akhirah, of, on the punishment of Qiyamah, for example, with my wealth and my children. Meaning because he thought he had wealth and because he was a man of status and his children and so forth, he will use them to ransom himself and that will be his savior. And so Allah said what? maluhu wa ma kasab. Neither his wealth nor his children or his gains will will benefit him. So this is how he do, deluded he was. On the point of his children, so here, if we say it means his children, then just let's look at one of his sons. One of his sons was Utaybah. Remember we said earlier his, his surname, but should, it should have been his Kunya, not his surname. His Kunya is Abu Utaybah, because this was his eldest son, Utaybah. Utaybah, the son of Abu Lahab. Who was Utaiba? What happened? What's this, the, the short story we have about Utaiba? Utaiba, by the way, was married to Umm Kulthum. Radiyallahu Who was the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So this was before Prophethood. Before Prophethood, remember, they are their family. Right? So they, of course, know each other. This is Rasulullah's cousin. Right? It's his uncle's son. It's his first cousin. Uh Utaiba. So Utaiba marries his daughter who is Umm Kulthum. And then after prophethood, he decides he has, has nothing to do with him and he divorces Umm Kulthum. Right? So that marriage is now over. And one day he even attacks Rasulullah وسلم, and he ends up tearing his shirt and so forth. There was a scuffle and he attacked him. Right? Because the enmity had now grown because only because of the da'wah that the Prophet was giving. And so the Prophet wasallam, he made a dua. And he said, Allah alayhi kalban min kilabikum. O oh Allah, set one of your beasts upon him. Right? The word used is kalb. Usually we know kalb means a dog, right? But actually, kalb in Arabic can also refer to any predatory beast, any predatory beast that you know can attack people and bite people and so forth. <clears throat> so he said, "O oh Allah, sit one of your beasts upon him." And so one day, this man Utaybah, the son of Abu Lahab, he went on a journey with a caravan with some people, and as they stopped over, they were on their way to Sham. They stopped over for the, on his journey to rest and to spend the night and so forth. And he was full of fear. And he acknowledged this fear to his companions and his friends. And he said to them, I actually fear the dua of Muhammad. I'm worried about the dua of Muhammad. And so they said to him, don't worry. And they, you know, unpacked the things and they surrounded him. So they sat around him and they packed the things around him as if to protect him. And then what happened was is, the narration says that a lion appeared and this lion attacked him, bit him and killed him. Wallah mustaan Subhanallah. <clears throat> this was the dua of Rasulullah sallallahu being accepted. This is just one of the sons of who? Abu Lahab. One of the stories. The thing he thought this, this, is, what, this is what will save him. His sons will save him. But what did Allah say? There will be of no benefit to him. So that's what kasab means according to that view. Kasab here, yeah, according to the first view is refers to his children. His wealth will not be of benefit, nor his kasab, nor his children. However, Shaykh Ibn Taymi, rahimahullah, argues and says, that kasab, is not just his children. It's more general, and more inclusive than that. Right? So he says that the verse, includes his offspring. Yes, kasab means, his offspring, yes. But it also includes, other things. Right? It also includes, for example, his wealth, that he would earn in the future. That's not yet part of his wealth. But whatever he earns in the future, is also part of of Kasab, and also it includes his honour and his status. Remember these are honourable people in the community, people of status, the sons of Abdul Muttalib, the leaders of the Quraysh. So whatever status he has, whatever honour he has for example, whatever he gains of increase in status and honour, None of these things will benefit him. So the Sheikh argues that the word Kasab is not restricted to offspring or children. Rather it includes the the meaning of offspring and children but it's much more general than that. It it, it includes any worldly gain. Right? Any worldly gain. Hence if you look at the translation, the translation is pretty accurate where it said neither his wealth nor worldly gains will be of benefit to him. Any gain. Not just restricted to to that of children and Allah Azza wa ultimately knows best then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said sayasla naran lahab sayasla naran lahab. he will burn in a flaming fire a fire that is lahab remember what we said about lahab means flames, burning, blazing right, like his face and that is where he will be Okay, he will burn sayasla naran in a fire that is a that لَحَبْ is, That is burning and blazing al musta'an. So this is his abode. He claimed he will be saved. Allah is telling us, no ways. He said his sons and his wealth will save him. Allah said, no ways. He cursed the Prophet Sallallahu may, may you perish, may your hands be perished and so forth. Allah said, may, you, may your hands be perished. May the of Abu Lahab be perished, and may he be perished. SubhanAllah. Ibn Kathir says, meaning the fire, it has flames, evil and severe burning. He says it means it has flames, it is evil and severe in its burning. And here Ibn al also mentions a powerful point where he says: if you look at the word sayasla, that scene at the beginning of the word yasla, there's a scene that's attached to the sah, okay? That sah in Arabic is used usually for the future, right? And the close, or a future that's not too far away. Usually, that's how it's used in the Arabic language. So, for example, um, if we said in Arabic, "saadhhab ilal masjid," I will go to the masjid. I mean, I will go soon to the masjid. Not "adhhab ilal," "saadhhab." You add that scene in front of a, a, a verb; it will mean that I will shortly be going to the masjid. For example, I will. I'm planning to go to the masjid shortly. For example, this is how that scene can be used, right? And there the Sheikh says here that Sayasla means, it indicates that this is something that will happen soon. That he will burn in a bla- blazing, f- flaming fire. Sayasla meaning it's going to happen in the not too distant future. It's going to happen soon. As if to say it's a reality and it's coming soon. It's coming soon for him. And there the Sheikh says that is because... No matter how long one stays in this dunya or how much delight he experiences in this dunya, the year after is nearby. musta'an. Even those in the Barzakh, no matter how many years have passed them by, it is only like one hour in reality, in the bigger picture, in the reality of things. And think about the Barzakh. You know, we think about our life on this earth, we think we have a long time, we think that life is maybe long in 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, some people live 90, 100 maybe, very, very rare. but it happens. Is that a long life? We may think it's a long life, we may think, subhanAllah, we're 30 years old, 35, 40 years old, we still got 20 years left, perhaps Allah knows best but, you know, most likely 20 years left. And we think it's a long time, but in reality it's not a long time because number one, time flies, yes. But secondly, our time is very short and limited. And if we compare it to the Barzakh, right? Take any person in history, take the Sahaba, take Rasulullah Sallallahu 1400 and, what's it now, 30 years, perhaps he, uh, approximately, he passed away. 430 odd years, 32, 33 years, he passed away. Sahaba similar time periods, some of them before that, some of them after that. And take the other Prophets even before him. Adam, Hawa, Sulaiman, Dawood, Ibrahim, Nuh, Subhanallah. Those people have passed away, these Anbiya and the people before them and with them have passed away hundreds and thousands of years ago. Where have they been? Where are they? They're in the Barzakh. This next life, which is the the life between this life and the year after. They are in their graves. Their bodies and their souls go to the barzakh. How long have they been there? For all of this time. How long are they still going to be there? Only Allah Azza wa Jal knows. Wallahu A'lam. So if we pass away today, tomorrow, even in 50 years from now, we only have that time in this dunya to prepare for the Akhirah, we will then go into the barzakh. How long are we going to be in the barzakh? Maybe a thousand years. Maybe 2,000 years. Our state in the Barzakh depends on our state, the way that we lived. If we lived with Iman, our state in the Barzakh will be sweet and happy and full of delight. And we will be begging for the Akhirah. Longing for the... And of course the opposite holds true Allah al-Musta'an. But even those people who spend thousands of years in the Barzakh. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Quran? Surah al verse 35. كَأَنَّهُمْ يَوْمَ يَرَوْنَ مَا لَمْ يَلْبَثُوا إِلَّا سَاعَةً min nahar. on the day they see what they have been threatened with on that day this is what, the thre- this is what we threatened you with on that day come qiyama, when you finally see it happening it will be as if they had only stayed in this world or wherever they were before the akhirah, which includes the barzakh for an hour of a day sa'atan min nahar the entire life whatever happened before that day, which includes this life of this world and the Barzakh, all of that will seem like one hour, even if it's 10,000 years. Even if in reality it's 5,000, 2,000, 1,000 years. And only Allah knows best how long it will be. It will seem like, Allah says, Saa'tan min nahar, like one hour of the day. So this is why Allah, should I say, Ibn Uthaymi, Rahimahullah, is saying, that it's something that's very nearby. Sayasla. It's, it's coming to, to you. O oh, Abu Lahab. And so will his wife, the carrier of thorny kindling. حَمَّالَتَ al. Hatab actually means wood. Right? So kindling, يعني kindling for the fire, it's wood. Thorny kindling. We'll see why the translator used this word thorny. <coughs> so this means, Ibn Kathir says, she will carry the firewood. يعني in the Akhirah, in Jahannam, she will carry the firewood and throw it upon her husband to increase that which he is in of torment. And she will be ready and prepared to do so. So she will be there with him and she will also be carrying firewood and throwing in more and more, kindling that fire more and more so that his, his punishment gets increased. Another reason, another interpretation here is that why is she called the one who carried the firewood? The one who carried that thorny wood, that thorny kindling. It is because this woman used to carry <clears throat> wood. And she used to throw these thorny pieces of wood and branches into the pathway of the Prophet wasallam in order to harm him. So she knew that this is where he stayed, this is where he used to go, this is where the Kaaba is and this is on his way to the Kaaba and so forth, she would go out and fetch these wood, these branches, right? Which is full of thorns and sharp and so forth, and she would purposely throw it in these spots where she knew that he would walk, hoping that he's going to walk on it and that he gets harmed. This is what she would do, right? And that's why Allah then says, فِي diha حَبَلٌ mim masad." Around her neck will be a rope of palm fibre. Around her neck will be a rope of palm fiber. Mujahid and Urwa both said from the palm fiber of the fire. Not like the dunya. Her punishment will be that rope of palm fiber which is thorny and prickly and sharp. And it will also be from the fire. And Mujahid also said this means a color of iron. So this is what she will have. And this is why I think Ibn Kathir says, don't you see that the Arabs call a pulley cable a Masad? A Masad. It's one of the words of, of Masad. Subhanallah. And this is also described, This also describes her in the dunya. This ayah, masad, around her neck will be a rope of palm fiber. We can apply to the Akhirah and say she will have this like a collar of iron, according to Mujahid, or she will have that palm fiber around her neck from the fire. Burning her in the fire like that. Or, it's also a description of how she was in the dunya. Because as we said, she would go out to the Sahara, to the desert. Go out, far out of, you know, out of the city and into the desert, to go find these branches. To go find these thorny branches. And she would tie a rope around her neck and carry it like that. And then come to throw it in the pathway of Rasulullah In order to harm him. So imagine, this is a woman of status. This is supposed to be an honorable woman in the community, but this is what she would go and do to herself. Go out into the desert, go find these things, tie it around the neck and drag it and try. and. This is how Allah humiliated her. And this is how Allah humiliated her because of what she was doing or trying to do to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So this ayah could either apply to how she was in this world, doing what she did, or it can be applied to how she's going to be punished in the Akhirah with that fiber or that palm fibers thorny palm fibers which will be tied around her neck and she'll be burnt by that like a color of iron as mujahid said or palm fibers from the from the fire of jahannam and also she is the carrier of the fire which means either of the wood sorry either it, it applies to us again a state in the dunya of how she carried it to harm the prophet or it applies to how she will carry it in the fire and she will then be throwing more and more wood, kindling the fire for her husband Abu Lahab. And they will both burn like that. Asmaa bint Abu Bakr anhu she narrates a story to us that shows us how this woman, the wife of Abu Lahab, tried to harm the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as well. So when these ayat tabbat yada Abu Lahabi were revealed and we spoke about why it was revealed, what Abu Lahab said and so forth. When these ayat were revealed, may the hands of Abu Lahab perish and may he be perished, this woman, the one-eyed Um Jamil, she was one-eyed, right? Uh, She was called Um Jamil, Bint Harb, the daughter of Harb. She came out wailing. Remember, these people didn't even believe in the Quran. Now the ayat come out rebuking her and her husband and she comes out wailing. And she had a rock in her hand. And she was saying, he criticizes our father, and his religion is our scorn, and his command is to disobey us. Of course talking about Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and as we said, this is what they used to say about him. His father, or our fathers, and our religion, and his command is to dis- This is why they couldn't handle him, because of their arrogance. And so that at that time, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is sitting in the Haram, near the Kaaba with Abu Bakr, al-Siddiq anhu. This is his daughter, by the way, who narrates the story, Asma' bint Abu Bakr was of course the sister of Aisha, the daughter of Abu Bakr. And when Abu Bakr saw her coming, he said, Oh, messenger of Allah, she is coming and I fear that she will see you. Meaning, he knew, could hear what she's shouting and saying and wailing about. She has a rock in her hand. And they knew she's not a a, a trustworthy or moral woman. She's an immoral person. So she cannot be trusted. So he says to the Prophet "I fear she's coming to harm you. You know, maybe you should get up and leave. So the Prophet said, Indeed, she will not be able to see me. She is not going to see me. And then he recited some of the Quran as a protection for himself. And this is as Allah Subh'anaHu wa Ta-A'la says, wa wa bayna bil-akhirati hijaban mastura. And when you recite the Quran, we put between you and those who believe not in the Akhirah an invisible veil. Subhanallah. So he recited ayat to protect himself. And Allah says here that when you recite the Qur'an, Allah puts a veil between you and those who don't believe in the Akhirah. And so this woman came and she came until she was standing in front of Abu Bakr and she did not see the messenger of Allah And she then said to Abu Bakr, to Abu Bakr, Oh Abu Bakr, indeed I have been informed that your friend is making defamatory poetry about me. He's saying things about us. So Abu Bakr said no. But the Lord of the Kaaba He is not defaming you. And so she took his word. Right? And other narration says, I believe you and you are someone trustworthy. And so she left. And so she left saying, she left saying, indeed, the Quraysh know that I am the daughter of the leader. This is what, how she, she consoled herself. You know, as if to say, this, these Qurayshis, they know I'm the daughter of the leader, meaning they, they must still fear me and respect me. So he's not, he won't be defaming me and so forth. And so she left. Abu Bakr then said to the Prophet wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, she couldn't see you? Kaif? Yani how could she not see you? And the Prophet said, There was an angel here who was covering me with his wings. There was an angel here who was covering me with his wings. Subhanallah. So that brings us, alhamdulillah, to the end of the surah. Suratul masad Right, wherein we spoke about the reason of re- for revelation. Rasulullah called the Quraysh, Would you believe me? And I said, This the enemy is about to attack you. They said, Yes. He said, I am warning you only about the most severe torment. Abu, uh, Abu Lahab then said, Is this what you gathered us for? May you be perished. And Allah then, in defense of His Messenger, revealed and said, May the hands of Abu Lahab be perished and may He be perished. And truly, He was perished. And مَا May his wealth, nor any worldly benefit, be of any benefit to him. Any worldly gains be of benefit to him. And this we explained, that in the Akhirah especially, his wealth will not avail him, in front of Allah. Nor any of his benefits, not his money, not his status, not his offspring. <clears throat> and we spoke about his offspring. Say لَا نَا رَدَىٰ They will be thrown into the fire, a blazing fire, a flaming fire, that will be severe upon him that's coming soon وَامْرَأَةُ حَمَّلَةَ الْحَطَبِ and his wife as well that carrier of the thorny kindling firewood right she will be stoking the fire for him and burning with him and likewise she carried it in this dunya فِي in her neck will be a rope of palm fibre from the palm trees right again she carried it in this dunya on her neck to, to hurt the Prophet and likewise in the akhirah she'll be given a colour of iron the palm fiber from the fire, where she will be dragged from her neck and be punished like this, Subhanallah. So this is the status of the enemies of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and how Allah جل, condemned them and how He punishes them and He will punish them in the Akhirah Allah Musta'an and how He defended His uh, His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from these people. So that's the end of this surah Alhamdulillah um, Rabbil Alameen. next week الله, we move on to Surah Al-Ikhlas, one of the most powerful and the best surahs in the Quran. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Until then, be it in the light alaykum, wa barakatuh, wa sala wa sallallahu wa wa alaykum wa alaykum wa wa alaykum wa alaykum wa